This is Out of Rich Darkness. I'm Camille Savage-Kroll. And I'm Elena Chia. We started this podcast during the coronavirus lockdown of March 2020. In our conversations, we challenge ourselves to think out of the box and out of the concert hall about music and life. The sound of a second Since our last conversation, we've had a lot of things. Um, I've had a lot of things bouncing around in my head um, that could be could be really interesting topics to start to scratch the surface of. And I think they're issues that are pretty deep wells. But yeah. it would be fun tonight, especially since we're both a little tired. <laughs> Yeah. Are we ever not tired these days? But <laughs> <laughs> probably not. <laughs> um, to start to collect some of those things that that we would like to explore some more on this podcast. Yeah, and I am multitasking for a good reason right now <laughs> because I sent you something which you probably didn't get yet. Here we go. Um, it's a quote by Stephen Levitt, who is the Freakonomics guy. Oh. And, and he says, whenever you cannot decide what you should do, choose the action that represents a change rather than continuing the status quo. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. And that, and that really is, spoke to me today. <laughs> oh, yes. That is so, and that is so much along the lines of what I've been thinking about. Um, corona is a big a big wake up call to us yeah to not continue business as usual yeah and i was in a virtual meeting today um where the the talk the phrase kept being interjected when we go back to normal and sometimes which i which i hope is possible soon and things like that and on the inside i was just thinking no <laughs> we must not go back to normal i mean what is normal but but i also was just so um i was i was just thinking this is the opposite of what we need what we need for the earth what we need for our society for our culture and yeah. what we need as an institution and that's something that i've been thinking about a lot recently which is what do things like sustainability and regenerability mean in the case of making music 
and mm -hmm. learning and institutions of music learning. Um, and it's definitely right along the lines of what you were just saying, which is not business as usual, but exactly right. the opposite. Yeah, not the status quo. Yeah. Um, I know that, I mean, maybe this is because of my particular, I don't know, state of mind. It's, it seems to be a perpetual state of mind, but of, of having an identity crisis of not knowing what kind of musician I am, if any, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but because of that, I always take any kind of crisis as an opportunity to step back and think, well, okay, this is where life has put me now. What do I want to make of it? And, and this is a particularly big step back. Uh, and I've really been taking very small steps forward just because I don't want to rush out of this, both because I don't want to put anybody at risk and also because I want to keep the, the healthy habits that I've learned during this period. Yeah. Could you maybe talk a little bit about what those healthy habits are for you? Mm. Well, I'd say one is just the ability to ask myself what I want to do to ask myself what I feel like doing and what makes sense to do. When I reflect on my teaching approach of um, previous semesters and years, it just seems to me like most of it was based on what I thought was expected of me. In other words, guilt and fear. I've been examining those two Emotions? Are they emotions? Is guilt an emotion? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think so. We talk about feeling guilty. Yeah. 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 So I've been examining those two emotions a lot lately and realizing that they are responsible for much more of my life than I would like to admit for a huge percentage of my decisions. And um, I'm rambling here, but I... I've, I'm reading this book by Mo Gaudat, who was one of the founders mm. of Google X, and I've been mm -hmm. listening to his podcast also, um, his book, Solve for Happy, where he, he explains a little bit how the brain works and the brain is trained to seek out negatives and to fix, fixate on negatives in order to protect the body from physical harm. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, when you're crossing the street, you will not notice the sound of a bird singing or the colors of the skirt that this woman is wearing who's also crossing the street. Um, you will just notice how fast the cars are and how far away they are. And so while those aren't negatives, they are, they are the things that could put us in danger. And uh, I realized that I have a really strong reaction to what's required of me in a in an academic setting or just a professional setting and i put that so far above what i think makes sense artistically mm -hmm. and what i think uh or just 
even something as simple as what I feel like doing on any given day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so while I've always taught in a way that I hope is, is sensitive and, and holistic, I realize that I'm not applying those principles to my own life in many, many cases. Yeah. And I think when we don't do that, we actually start to experience distress. Yeah. And we're often, I think, not aware of it. Our body tries to make us aware of it a lot of times um, through chronic pain or Mm -hmm. through a sense of exhaustion. Mm -hmm. And we so often just push through that Mm -hmm. and ignore the distress signals that our body is sending us, trying to say, listen to your intuition. Listen to me here. Come back to me. Come back to the breath. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's there, but we've created and we, we have established a culture that does not put that intuition and that sensing and, and feeling at its center. Right. And that really is detrimental to our health, I'm beginning to realize. Yep. Uh, yes, this pandemic is also incredibly stressful. Um, and, and it's interesting that we're realizing a certain type of stress that we're missing now. <laughs> God. <laughs> but, um, and it's been kind of replaced with the stress of this, of this crisis, of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. But it, it has really opened my eyes to the unhealthy culture that we survive in, in academia. Maybe we need to describe that culture a little bit because... Yeah. What do we, I think, what do we mean by that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I think yeah. it's different in different places, but I think sure. there are probably some things that are kind of a, a common denominator mm-hmm. in many, many musical institutions and... Yeah, schools all over the world. Um, One thing that I've been noticing is that, uh, well, again, a little tangent. I started a an online creative writing course, taking an online creative writing course, about a week ago. No, it must be almost two weeks ago now. um, Called Wild Writing, and it's offered by a writer named Lori Wagner, and I can recommend it. I think she is. A really fantastic and creative person who is just really authentic. And she just, she has these videos that you get every morning to start you off on 15 minutes of completely free writing. And, uh, and it, it just feels like she's sitting at your kitchen table talking to you, mm-hmm. reading you a poem. And I, I'm reminded of my college and high school creative writing classes that I had in the States. And in doing this class, this online course, I'm also reminded of the fact that there is nothing comparable to that that I've ever experienced in music. So this is not really concretely describing the stress that we have in music schools, but the the freedom of just saying, here, I'm gonna read you this poem and then you just take a line from it and just start going and write as fast as you can and just try to be bad. 
just do that for 15 minutes. <laughs> um, I, I've never experienced anything like that in music and or at least not in my music, musical education in my other experimenting. Yes, but not in my education. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of crazy when I hear you say that, to be honest, because, um, if we are not able to experience that type of creativity through music, and of course I know exactly what you're talking about because mm -hmm. that was 90% of, of my music education as well. Um, but if we, can't, if we can't experience the chance to experiment with no limits, with mm -hmm. no fear, mm -hmm. I don't know how we're ever going to create new and exciting things. Yeah. And, and it didn't used to be that way. This is, I think, mm. I don't know really when this crept into our ideas of, of how music had to be. That would be really interesting to, to examine. When did perfectionism and this idea of excellence, whatever that means, when did that come to be our mm. gold standard? Um, and when did we move away from creativity and freedom um, and there certainly were, you know, some, some really big exceptions to that. Um, there was Pauline Oliveros, there was John Cage. Um, there are, are, you know, you see this with, with some composers for sure who yeah. made their mark. But for the rest of us <laughs> who don't yeah, consider structures. ourselves <laughs> composers, mm -hmm. yeah, where is that freedom? Yeah. Well, um, I know that Fortwängler put it down to the recording industry <laughs> as the death of creativity and just all-around knowledge, um, the death of of being composer, performer, uh, all-rounder. So yeah. I don't know if he's if he was yeah. right about that, but I think it's now actually, yeah. But now it's interesting to see that the new media are creating creative outlets for a different kind of music and creation and and bringing back a lot of vivaciousness to uh the music scene but not necessarily the classical music scene <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's really interesting um to notice can you think of specifics um, in when we when we talk about this uh, culture that we have at at music at music schools, mm -hmm. um, specifics that are are counterproductive when it comes to the yeah. type of creativity that we long for. Definitely. Well, for one thing, we have uh, these exams for for performance majors. We have an exam at the end of the four years that is a recital. That's basically free choice, but you have to play pieces from three different eras, which I find is a really outdated concept. Yeah. And totally. really ignores the, uh, the direction that things are taking in the professional scene where people are specializing in, Baroque performance and new music, and a lot of people do Baroque and new music, uh, and and just exploring 
different ways of programming. So that already makes uh, the the exam makes students think about or just focus on this very narrow concept of what is a recital, uh, what is a well-rounded performance. It has to be from three different eras. Okay, so. <laughs> and then there's the other part of the exam, which is called the, it's basically an orchestra audition exam. So if you play an orchestral instrument, then you would prepare for that exam, your classical concerto, your romantic concerto and 10 excerpts. And, and that's assuming that everybody wants to go on to a position in orchestra of which there are ever fewer <laughs> and who knows what the situation is going to be like after this crisis. Um, so that's also a very restrictive, mm, I just think it's such a huge constraint on creativity. And, and then, I mean, the exams in themselves, I think are, they are what they are. They're not necessarily good or bad. Um, they just represent a certain point of view that hasn't really been challenged for the last probably 30, 40 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would love to hear from you what you think are the constraints on creativity or the, the stressors in our lives as teachers and, and even also students. Yeah. I think a lot of them are structure-based because we have incredibly inflexible structures that um, have been instituted as part of things like the Bologna reform mm. that are very, very time crunched structures that don't leave a lot of, of wiggle room. There are also structures that say all the things that you have to do and when you have to do them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like so much energy even from students um, that they should be using for being creative goes into figuring out those structures. And so much <laughs> of my time and my energy, instead of being creative, goes into explaining those structures and maybe even trying to tweak the structures so they're a little bit more manageable. But that is absolutely creativity killer number one. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. All of the, the paperwork and all of the time connected to these structures and to be honest mm -hmm. that's something that i have it has just been a relief in this time of corona to not have those structures be such a tight belt mm -hmm. they're obviously still they're still around and they're still you know kind of meaningful maybe but also just not that important right now because We've all kind of collectively taken a deep breath and said, what is important? Let's try to make the most important things possible in this semester. Yeah. Yeah. And the things that aren't, let's just not worry about them. And that is so interesting to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I think about when I think about what um, prevents people from, from being creativity, it also goes back to what you were saying uh, in the beginning about listening to yourself. And we talked about this in the first episode and it's really a theme, but it's, it's taking care of ourselves. It's, it's prioritizing health 
Um, there's a line in a, in a Wendell Berry poem that I have read maybe 20 times this week. I should just mm. memorize it. <laughs> but he mm -hmm. says to live a three-dimensioned life. And I've been thinking, he's talking about how to be a poet. That's the name of the poem also, which I'm going to have to read in a minute because the whole thing yeah. is so, so good. Every line speaks so deeply to me. But living a three-dimensioned life is, to me, remembering all of those things that make me a person that have nothing to do with my work, but that if I am really if living these things, if I'm, if I'm really um, diving into life headfirst and, and taking care of myself by nourishing other parts of myself that are not related to my, my job, I am a richer musician. I am a better teacher. I have more to give and it comes from an authentic place. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, would you read that poem? I would love to. So how to be a poet by Wendell Berry in parentheses to remind myself. Make a place to sit down, sit down, be quiet. You must depend upon affection, reading, knowledge, skill, more of each than you have. Inspiration, work, growing older, patience, for patience joins time to eternity. Any readers who like your poems doubt their judgment. Breathe with unconditional breath, the unconditioned air. Shun electric wire, communicate slowly. Live a three-dimensioned life. Stay away from screens. Stay away from anything that obscures the place it is in. There are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. Accept what comes from silence. Make the best you can of it, of the little words that come out of the silence, like prayers prayed back to the one who prays. Make a poem that does not disturb the silence from which it came. And when I think about creativity, I love to think also of making, making music that does not disturb the silence from which it came. Yeah. That rich that silence. That is such an amazing line. There's so many amazing lines in that poem. I know. Wow. Yeah. 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 Wow. And the other one about the prayer prayed back to the prayer. Yeah. One mm. Yes. Like prayers prayed back to the one who prays. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> the little words. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's also, I mean, I, man, I could go, I could go through every single line of this, of this poem, but he talks about the little words, making the best of the little words that come out of the silence. It's not, it's not about dreams of grandeur. It's not about trying to make a masterwork. It's, yeah. taking, those, it's taking those little, little words, those little drops of inspiration. Yeah. Making something out of them. Well, that reminds me of another thing that I think is just fundamentally upside down in our world of classical music, which is it starts from a good place that we revere masterpieces 
-hmm. We have enormous respect and really reverence for great works of music. And we analyze them to find out why they're great. And we, we canonize them. And that's where I think it gets dangerous that in canonizing them, we don't leave any space for um, anything as lowly as a contribution that one of us could make. Yeah. And, and that I find, um, I mean, first of all, it has resulted in us playing the, the works of exclusively white male composers for forever and ever. Um, Mm -hmm. And it has just, I think, muted us. (laughs) It just, obviously there, there are still composers, (laughs) but I think the average, average musician, whether we're talking about a music student or a professional in an orchestra or a great ensemble um most of them i think would tell you i know i i can't compose anything i can't no i <laughs> uh, i'm not i'm not a composer and we don't learn to think in a in a creative way even if we are not going to become composers yes and that's the difference to writing, because we all know anyone can write. And we value that as a, as a skill, as a life skill for everyone when you look at what happens in schools. And, and I do think you're right. I think this is a little different in Germany than it is in the United States. There is, at least from my experience, there's more, more value placed on creative writing in the United States than, mm-hmm. than here. Um, which is interesting to me, Mm. but this idea that everyone can and should be able to write is lost in, in our current elite music education. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very sadly. And, and maybe, you know, it doesn't even need to be always writing in terms of writing notes. I think this Mm -hmm. is something also that's a big hang up. If I can't, write down all of the the music that I have in my head um, in a certain way, then I'm not able to compose. Mm. But we know we have all this technology now that allows us so many different ways to create. And mm-hmm. I think even that barrier is something that stops a lot of people from, yeah. from trying it out, from trying really to speak even before they, before they write and, and speaking music that someone else has not written is such a valuable skill. I mean, we all know it's called improvisation, right. but it's nothing, it's nothing other than speaking. That's exactly that's really all it is. And it's really interesting to me. I watched Danny Elfman's masterclass it was mm-hmm. actually, I did that even before the Corona crisis, but he was, uh, he was in a band he didn't know how to write or read music and he became one of the most successful film music composers of our century. Um, And I think that's a really interesting phenomenon that as somebody who just doesn't have the inhibitions, but has a whole lot of ideas and creative fervor can become a great composer just because he doesn't know that he can't. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And 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 this this uh this worship, constant worship of all the same masterpieces 
without any uh, variation, without, uh, what's the word? Diversity. Mm, yes, diversity. That's missing. It puts a huge strain on young people and on it us. It silences them. Yeah, and on us. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It silences a lot of voices and and it is... Um, it is shocking how little diversity there is in classical music. I think this is one of the things that um, that I've realized really irks me. As much as I love Beethoven, I I have a really hard time just hearing these in quotes greats all the time in concerts. I just can't. I cannot stomach it anymore. If I'm going to be very honest, mm -hmm. because we're we're framing this music, which yes, I. I also love, but we're framing this music as this as as this this thing that is untouchable, and we're not we it has and it has no connection to our reality at all. Yeah. If we can put these pieces next to pieces from now, from varied voices, then when we hear Beethoven, we'll hear it differently. Yeah. And and I think that's actually really part of of the concert experience that uh, that I don't miss is um, is the monotony of it because yeah. it is it is all the same voices over and over and over and over again and yes you can interpret <laughs> yeah. them differently and yes different people can play them but I'm missing the frame of now yeah. <laughs> And the yeah, and the and, and the <laughs> right, and and also I'm missing the playfulness, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. mm, really just the child's play aspect. Just let's let's play with this and see where it goes. And this is how that's how bands work. Yeah, that's how, that's how jazz works. Yeah, and it's and it's also how a lot of super uh, super successful innovators work yeah. yeah they they play and it's how we all once worked until yeah. we figured out that that wasn't wasn't good which is, <laughs> is just shocking i mean when i watch how children interact with music how they're so free and so ready to try anything and willing to say what they don't like <laughs> mm -hmm. and and willing to just try things out um and and there is no such thing as falling on your face i mean even if you watch kids learning to walk they yes they fall down but yeah they just get right back up and keep going it's just exactly all the process yeah in fact i usually use that as a as an example of how we need to practice not not practice to be perfect but practice the way little babies learn to walk just mm -hmm. by falling on your face a hundred times yeah. <laughs> until it makes sense yeah until something goes click and i actually have i have a new mission i have a very fuzzy hazy vision but it's it's there it's starting to shape take shape um i just when i started this creative writing course i thought you know i've i haven't practiced every day during this crisis, I haven't unpacked the cello every day. And, and I've gone through periods in my life before when I haven't touched the cello much and when I really needed a break from music and concerts. And now 
I'm only starting to very slowly have an interest in, in developing something again. And I want it to be a reboot. Mm -hmm. I want it to be a real reboot. Well, of everything, the way I approach music, the way I make music, the way I think of programs, potential uh, concert experiences. And we started to talk about how that might be possible. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that we can work on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To start to think about what, what a concert experience could be and think about it in terms of research. That's what I'm starting to do right now is mm. to think about what sort of settings would be interesting for just trying a certain idea out really with no other intention, but to see what happens. Mm -hmm. In other words, playing mm -hmm. with this format that we call a concert. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that I would love to do once we're allowed to, to have these again. Yeah. Yeah. And I would love to create a program even just for myself and maybe also for others who would like to join in. But I definitely want to create this program for myself, which is like the 27 Days of Wild Writing, but something like however many days of wild playing. Yeah. <laughs> not necessarily wild. Oh, why not? <laughs> but free. Yeah. 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 Without constraints. Right. And when we're free we're able to listen and choose how we want to interact, which are the cornerstones of music making. Yeah. Well, I would love to continue. I think it's, it's going to be a, a continuation, but I would love to continue to ask this question, which goes along the lines of what we're talking about right now, what could a regenerative culture look like in the arts? And again, to come back to definitions, because this is something I've been thinking about. I started by thinking about sustainability, but then I asked myself, what is it we want to sustain? What does that even mean? <laughs> does it mean we want to continue on like we are now for an indefinite amount of time? Because no, <laughs> Just, well, we, and, we don't <laughs> No, because I, I think that had kind of been where I was at. How can I get to a place where, where I can, where I can do my job well, <laughs> but I'm beyond that. Um, I don't mm -hmm. want to just be able to do my job well until I retire. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to just um, do things well they are now the way I'm doing them now and yes of course I want to to be a good teacher but I've been asking myself if we go one step beyond that if we go beyond sustainability to regenerability which is mouthful what does that mean and I looked at what it meant for biology and it means to replace in parentheses a lost or damaged organ or part close parentheses by the formation of new tissue or to form construct or create a new which totally goes along with what you were saying this idea of a reboot and 
um, this I think is our is our chance to dream about what how we could create a new. I looked then at other other definitions of um, regenerate and um, it's to construct or create a new, especially in an improved manner, to revitalize um, or to undergo spiritual rebirth. And, oh yeah. And so there's there are all these these <laughs> different like that. ideas that that are swinging along when we hear that word. Um, but I would really love to ask that question: What does that mean? What could that mean for the arts? We know what it means. Uh, we're starting to learn about what it means for nature, mm-hmm. and I think nature gives us so many so many answers to our questions if we're willing to ask and and one of the main thoughts that has been bouncing around in my head has been that if we're not growing we have a really big problem if plants aren't growing they're dying there is nothing mm. in between they're mm. either growing or they're dying and mm. and i think if we're not growing as a as a culture in music, if we're not growing, we are dying. And there are certainly signs of death. If you, if you look around, there's Mm. certainly signs of life too. But I think I would love to, in this podcast, start to highlight those signs of life and to really continue to examine what aspects of, of our culture need regenerating. It doesn't mean throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean we don't ever play Beethoven again, um, or Bach, my goodness. That's Mm -hmm. not at all what this means, but it's just asking ourselves the question, are we growing? And can we live with that question together um, as a, as an institution or as a community? Can we, can we refocus what we're doing um, on our health so that we can grow? And I think what, what we were talking about privately the other day is a culture of vulnerability, which I think goes hand in hand with the ability to grow. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and to acknowledge that we are also human beings, we are not producers of something. Yeah. Um, And I think that is only that culture will become possible if people are willing to say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm being really hard on myself too. And uh, yeah, I also am finding it difficult to leave it, live up to this standard of impossible perfection. And I would welcome that. What else could we do? Yeah. I, I think they, they go hand in hand, this willingness to be vulnerable also to um, really to name the things that are distressors for us mm-hmm. and name the, the anxiety and have that be normal and not stigmatized. Yeah. And then also by creating spaces where we can interact and share the things that are, that are difficult for us, we create the possibility for new collaborations. And I think that is also something that has so much unused potential in in our institutions of of higher learning mm-hmm. um, not collaboration the way that we've had it before, but collaboration in a really honest, open way where we are willing and and we want to learn from each other 
learn mm -hmm. new things, not just combine our expertise, but really learn from one another and experiment and play um, and, and be willing to make huge mistakes and, and to make a fool of ourselves. Also for our students, I think that's going to be incredibly important because if we hold ourselves to certain standards of perfection, how can we ever expect them to do anything different mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. we're not trying things out? Right, exactly. Yeah. Mm. So this, I feel like we're just just starting to to scratch the surface of this, but I would love to maybe in future episodes also choose one area and and go deep and really ask ourselves what could that mean and and continue mm -hmm. to to dream big and um and see where where it takes us yeah and one of the things that i think belongs to dreaming big is getting detailed yes getting detailed yeah. about how we want to live and make music yeah so maybe actually this could be a really great challenge for anyone who's listening this week. Do you have specific areas that you would like us to go deep and get detailed with? Are there things that you are thinking about? Um, we'd love to have you join the conversation. Anyone, anyone who's listening areas of, of music making that need to be revitalized or rebooted or regenerated? Um, what interests you and, and what, where would you like to see this conversation go? Thank you for listening to Out of Rich Darkness. This podcast was recorded remotely from Freiburg and Berlin. Original music by Camille Savage-Kroll and Elena Chia. We really appreciate feedback from our listeners. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it or leave a review and tell your friends about it.